Hello, Don the Stat listeners. Ian here. With the national draft completed, we thought we'd have a quick check in with Don the Stat's favourite draft expert, Jasper Chalapa from the Inner Sanctum, about how the night played out. Jasper, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Hume, for having me. Um, obviously, we're missing Jono today, but uh, it would be really good to go over some um, some of the big uh, deals coming out of Essendon's two nights. It's been a it's been a huge couple of nights for Adrian Dodoro's team. Absolutely, I think we're all pretty happy with the results. But I guess, firstly, you were in the room uh, when the draft was taking place this year. So, how was how was that experience for you? What did you learn uh, about the process that you weren't aware of it going into it? Yes, it's really interesting what, what goes on behind the scenes. I was at Marvel Stadium for the two nights, um, along with all the draftees on the first night that um, got selected and got invited to Marvel. Um, it's a huge operation back there. Um, there's there's cameras going off. There's live crosses seven and nine and um, AFL.com and uh, obviously Fox Footy as well. Um, there's you know about twenty or so journalists from different um, media outlets in there, um, players coming and going, list managers coming in um, getting harassed by the by the media scrum. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big operation and there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to, to get draftees to that point. Um, and I think overall what, what you kind of take out of it is um, how, you know, just how life-changing this is for for draftees. I saw some draftees crying um, after being selected, um, obviously family and friends crying and just being over the moon. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty special experience to to be a part of. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, as, as, as you say, just that, that emotion, the thing they've worked to for, you know, probably five or six years where they've really focused on it seriously, that it's come true would be amazing. I guess just before we look at Essendon specifically, how did the overall draft play out in your view? Was it as you expected or was there some big surprises? Look, I, th- I think it did go pretty much as expected in the first round. There were always going to be a really even pull from about 15 onwards. I think um, draftees had, uh, sorry, uh, clubs had really different draft boards. Um, and that kind of played out with what we saw with Sydney. They traded back after a few bids, um, a cheeky bid on Harry Ralston, the GLUS Academy player. Um, that took Adrian Caruso's team by surprise and the Giants matched that one after a bit of deliberation about what to do. Um, and then the other big surprise, I think, out of the night was probably seeing Cooper Vickery take in the Hawks NGA player who they completely expected to get um, past pick 40. He was taken late 20s by Kinnear Beats in Sydney, um, which is just another element to to the storyline when you consider the Hawks traded them that pick um, to move up and select Josh Weddle. So that's that's uh, Beatson keep, keeps delivering in, in the AFL draft sphere. He drafts as well as anyone I've ever seen. Um, and the Swans are reaping the benefits of it on field. Um, but those are probably the big surprises I saw from from the two nights. Well, it's just going to be interesting to see how other clubs deal with Sydney's, you know, future father sons and NGAs, given what they've done. <laughs> this, you know, might be a bit of payback. Um, I guess, you know, just reflecting on your your final phantom draft, you pretty much nailed the top 11. Only real Philippou and Mackenzie sort of swap, swap clubs. I think Hawthorne, you had Hawthorne taking Philippou and Saints getting Mackenzie and then that sort of reverse. So how, how overall, how happy are you with the, the process of putting that together and, and the outcome there? Yeah, it's a long process to to put it all together. It's not as simple as some may think of, um, you know, where players may fit and where they've been linked to in the media. I spoke to a lot of recruiters beforehand and, and a few different players as well of where they've been ranked. Um, and overall, um, I'm pretty happy with how it came out. Cal Toomey nailed his top 12 or so, um, apart from that Jasper Fletcher bid coming a bit earlier than he expected. I think he nailed the top 13. So he did fantastically, as always. He's, he's the best in the business. 
Um, the Filippo Camacenzie decision for Hawthorne, I think, came down to the wire. They did a lot of work on Filippo towards the end of the draft, as did Essendon. Um, but I think considering they knew that he was a chance to slip through, they probably considered him a, a really good option for their selection. In the end, they went with Cam McKenzie, the known quantity, um, who's going to be a fantastic midfielder for them. There was no real wrong option at that point in the draft because they are very even um, in that kind of top 10. Um, but, yeah, that's that's where I missed out um, a little bit. Um, other than that, I think we we did quite well overall. It's it's such a, an even draft past that point that it's really difficult to predict these ones. But um, seeing, you know, some guys fall where, where you expect them to is, is pretty gratifying. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, before we talk about the first Essendon pick of of Sartis, you know, there was a lot of speculation about Essendon potentially trading that pick out and and clubs coming with with big offers for that pick four, which ended up being pick five. Do you what do you think it would have taken for Essendon to be prepared to trade out that pick? Was it ever a realistic option or was it no club was ever going to give up enough for Essendon to give up that pick? I'm I'm confident this was a genuine consideration from Todoro's team. I, I think when you look at some of the offers that have been reported, but I think they were very real, the dogs willing to to trade um, a future first their their pick ten or which no sorry which became twelve um, on draft night, and also you know Melbourne willing to trade three first rounders including pick fourteen, those are genuine considerations for Dororo's team. Um, I think in the end they wanted a top ten pick as well as a future first to even consider it. Because of that top 10 gap um, to the rest of the draft pool, if if they weren't getting an elite midfielder like Elijah Sardis or Mateus Filippo, they probably wouldn't have considered it. If St Kilda came to them with pick 10, which became Filippo and also a future first for four and say 22, um, I think the Dons would have heavily considered that. And that one, we may have seen a trade. But the Saints stuck to their guns and, and did really well out of this draft, selecting Filippo, the slider, out of that um, first you know ten or so. He was the last one taken, um, and then also you know doing really good business towards the end of the draft as well. So um, the Dons definitely considered it, but I don't think in the end um, there was any last minute um, decisions to to stick to the pick. I think it was done pretty early on. Yeah, and just on the Saints, they they picked up Kilo. I think you also rated pretty highly and was you know suggesting as what could have been a possibility for Essendon's second pick as well. So I think, as you sort of say, they've they've done some pretty good jobs. Obviously, time will tell how these things play out. But sort of going back to the Saints with the, the pick of Philippou there, obviously, it really seemed to come down to Sartis and Philippou for Essendon. Uh, you sort of mentioned that Hawthorne, when choosing between McKenzie and Philippou, went for the known option. Do you think that was the deciding factor between the two for Essendon, that Sartis was more of a, a known option and Philippou was a bit more speculative? What do you think were other factors at play? Yeah, look, Filippo's a a very gifted footballer and he's not speculative in the sense of um, being a top 10 pick. He's got the upside. He's also got some runs on the board. He had a pretty good state championships, had a really strong start to the year, curtailed a little bit with an ankle injury and and some stuff going on towards the end. But with Sardis, he's more of a known quantity to your point in terms of every single game that he's played, he has been dominant. Um, he won the Chargers best and fairest off six games, as we all know now. Um, and he, what he produces on the field is is really consistently fantastic. He averaged 34, 35 touches a game in the NAB League and then went into Vic Metro's side and was one of their best midfielders there as well. So his ability to come back from the ankle injury in mid-season, which really curtailed, uh, I'm sorry, a foot injury in mid-season, which really curtailed a fantastic campaign, come back, and, and pick up where he left off, 
he, he spoke to to the inner sanctum after the draft and, and basically said he was determined to prove a lot of people wrong. He knows that there's a lot of um a lot of recency bias, I think he said, in the draft in terms of what they produced towards the end of the year. So he was determined to come back and and show that he's the exact same player as as, as where he started out. And at the start of the year, he was a genuine number one pick contender with Will Ashcroft and George Wardlaw. So um, for the Dons to pick him up at pick five, I think it's a really good result. And when it comes down to it, he is a bit of a more known quantity. And um, I, I think he fits really well with what the Dons are building in the midfield. Well, sort of leads into my next question. You know, what what is what is he bringing to the Essendon side that they may not already have, or it's going to strengthen a particular area? And is he someone you think is ready to go day one, or is it going to take some time before he's a, a regular senior player? He's he's going to be a guy to to that latter um, question that is going to be really hard to leave out of the side if he's had a decent preseason. He's got so much uh, pizzazz that we really lack in the midfield kind of area of the ground. Um, his speed on the outside of contests, his uh, ability to accumulate the ball and get it get it moving forward like in a really effective manner with handballs, with link-up play, long kicks. He's a metres gain player out of the midfield, which is pretty rare to find when, when you get a guy running 15 metres, maybe taking a bounce and running 20 um, and then delivering it 50 metres into, into the full forward line. Um, that's a really valuable asset to co- have coming out of clearance. Uh, we look at our center clearances. They were pretty good last year with Dylan Shield. He led the league for a while there. But our our general clearances around the ground were horrific. He won't be a pure inside midfielder that extracts the ball like we have with the Darcy Parish or a Dylan Shield. But he will be a guy, if they get first hands on the ball, he'll make the most of it. He'll take meters and he'll actually clear the ball out of congestion into open space for us. So I think it's going to be difficult to, for Brad Scott to leave him out of the side early on. He's coming in at 80 kilos, which is pretty good for a guy who looks a bit lighter on um, in the lab league and and has that speed. So if he has a good preseason, um, I could see him starting on a wing for for us in round one. Well, let's let's see how that goes. I guess just before we move off, Sardis, is there any particular area you think he needs to work on uh, over the next couple of years to, to make him that sort of elite player that you would expect from a top five pick? Yeah, so... With midfielders these days, they need to be able to run defensively as hard as they run forward. They need to be able to tackle and pressure without the ball. Um, I think those are two aspects of his game that he didn't really need to work on during the NAB League. The Chargers were a dominant side when he played. Um, I don't think he. I don't think he lost more than one game for for the Chargers all year. Yeah, so they had the ball a lot. They were running forward of stoppages a lot, and he was you know the best in the business at that. He didn't need to get back that much. Um, you say that of a lot of draft picks um, taken towards the top of of the board. They they don't need to be defensive because they win their own ball and they they do so much with it and and they often have the ball a lot because they're in good teams. Uh, with Sardis, he's a he's a high cadence player, so he runs really fast contest to contest. If he can just emulate that, getting back and and making that more of a um, more of a one wood in his game, being able to run forward and running back, um, which I'm sure Brad Scott's team will will emphasize with him, then I don't think there's many holes in his game. And then the tackling pressure, um, he he can tackle. He's, he had a few monster tackles for Vic Metro towards the end of the state championships against Vic Country. Um, and I think he can emulate that kind of stuff because he's a really, he's an intense player. He, he, when the ball's in the vicinity, he's really competitive and um, he'll put a lot of work to win the ball back and get it moving forward. So I think that pressure will come. Well let's let's hope that let's hope that it does. Well let's move on to night two. I guess 
just thinking about it overall, could it have gone any better for Essendon? No, it was, it was absolutely superb, Hubie. Um, in the end, getting the the father sons, the Davy twins, we've been talking about them for six, seven years now, and we're going to be talking about them and their younger brother Elijah a little bit more as well because he's going to be a star as well. So, getting Al and Davy to that hundred game thresh, threshold, uh, we we can't thank Simon Goodwin enough for that one about nine years ago. Uh, so the Davy twins getting Anthony Moncara through as a category B rookie. Um, I think Adrian Dodoro was really holding out for that. He was hoping that he could get through the draft because you can add him to the cat B rookie list. We've just kind of cleared that out a little bit. Um, and we've, we're, we're going to have a, a really good prospect to build on over on that rookie list for a while while still retaining two national draft spots when we move Jaden Davy to the long-term injury list. In the end, the, the biggest decision that we had because we didn't need to match a bid. We didn't have to uh, make a decision on Mankara and all that kind of stuff was at pick 25, who to take in the end, we went with Sam Hayes, who um, is going to be, a, sorry, <laughs> Lewis Hayes, his brother, Sam Hayes um, plays for Port Adelaide. In the end, we, we took Lewis, um, who's going to be a really good key defender in the future. He won't play many games for us next year, but long-term with Zach Reed, I think that's a really good partnership to build on. Yeah. I guess like, Tell us a bit more about him. Like, where where do you projected him as going? And you know, you, you describe him as a key back. Is he more of a, a intercept key back, or is he more of a is he the sort of player that can develop into the the number one playing on the biggest forwards wrestling sort of player? He's um, firstly, I had him in my top twenty. So at pick twenty five, I think that's good value, and and it definitely fits a need in our in our list build for the future. He is a guy who reads the ball superb. He knows when to spoil, when to mark. He comes off his opponent um, quickly and he just makes decisions early on in the air. So that lends him to being a really good intercept player. He, he racked up a lot of 20-touch games um, for Eastern Rangers in the NAB League because he was able to to peel off his man, get high intercept possessions, and also link the chain kind of going forward. He's, he went at 88% by foot, I think, in the entire NAB League season. So he picks a safe option, but he also executes the safe option. Um, he's a really reliable ball user. So with Zach Reed and Lewis Hayes, we're going to have two really reliable ball users um, for our key position players going into the future. He... He's 199 centimetres, so he's big enough. It, it will just depend how he feels into his body. Some players like Nick Cox probably won't fill out their body and, and be a, a behemoth like we're seeing early on in the careers of Noah Bolter, for example. But he's a guy who I think can fill out pretty quickly. Um, we've seen with his brother, Sam Hayes, who is a really well-built ruckman early in his career. I think Lewis Hayes can do something similar with his body over the first few pre-seasons at, um, at the hangar. And I think he, in the end, he will probably be a bigger player than than Zach Reed um, in terms of uh, build, and and we'll see Zach Reed become that interceptor while um, Lewis Hayes does that shutdown roll from fullback. Yeah, as as you say, it is really exciting, and you know if if he comes off as long as Zach Reed, then it gives us a lot of flexibility with a player like Nick Cox to to have him forward or or continue on the wing as well, because then you you're not relying on him to be one of those key backs there. <laughs> Obviously, sort of the surprise of the night was just how far back Alwyn Davies slipped. So, you know, for most of the year, for all the the phantoms and the rankings that I've seen, he was a top 20 player for the, the majority of the year. And the sort of the last month, it sort of he started slipping back. I noticed that you had him at 29 in your last phantom draft. And obviously, he didn't go for a bid until 45. So, what's happened in the past month that's seen him slip so far? 
that nothing, nothing's happened. Towards the end of the season, he even improved on his performances and became a more consistent guy. We saw him in uh, Essendon's VFL side. He played a game. He kicked a goal. He was actively involved and he looked like he could match it at that level already. Um, so nothing's really changed with Alwyn Davey. It's just that clubs, once it got past pick 25, where the Dons um, would have had a decision to make on trading out and matching the bid or trying to trade back into the draft or a later stage, um, it just it just got to the stage where clubs knew they were matching it instantly and there was no point in taking him, even if he was at the top of their draft board. So we saw Hawthorne eventually make that bid at pick 45, um, which was matched instantly, obviously. But before that, I, I guarantee you a host of clubs would have had him at the top of their draft board but didn't really bother bidding on him in that second night. I think that the biggest point um, that came was the decision for GOS to, to draft Darcy Jones Um with, with one of the last picks in the first round instead of taking a bid on Alwyn Davy Jr. because they're very similar players and they had them ranked very similarly on their board. They just went with um, Darcy Jones from WA because he's a player that they can get onto the list um, and develop as that kind of that speedy midfielder who can play small forward maybe early in his career. But I think long-term projects to probably be a really good wingman at the next level. Um, Alwyn is a similar type. I think he's better. Um, and, you know, getting him a pick 45 is unbelievable. But the in the end, it just cost us a couple um, you know, draft picks, late draft picks um, to match that one. Yeah, what that? We're, no, no Essendon fans are complaining about about the result. I just find it interesting the mentality of clubs. Obviously, Sydney went hard on the on the bidding of players and making clubs pay full price. But you know, even going back to the first night with GWS not bidding on on Ashcroft when you know that Brisbane is going to match and and forcing them to pay the biggest amount of draft capital. I guess is it is it something where you're just trying to have you know good relationships with with clubs so you, you're avoiding bidding early, or is it? I, I, to, me, to me, it doesn't make sense. I would, I think you, you want to get an advantage over the clubs as much as you can. And if you're taking more points off them and making it more difficult for them, that would be something you do. I don't know what your thoughts are when it comes yeah. to that. Um, to I completely agree, Hume. And, and to rationalise it from list managers' perspectives a little bit, uh, this is what goes into their thinking. Firstly, they want to draft a player even you know if they're bidding on a, a player that they want to bring into their club and they're confident they can keep long term if you know for example JOS drafted um Will Ashcroft and it wasn't matched never in a hundred, never in a million years would that ever happen but if it wasn't matched Will Ashcroft probably wouldn't stay at JOS for longer than 2 years um whereas Harry Rouston who um is a Sydney boy well he's a New South Wales boy in the uh, GOS NGA academy Sydney would be confident in retaining him for a long period of time. They put a lot of work into him. They rated him in the top 12 on their draft board. Uh, I spoke to Simon Dalrymple last night. They rated him in the top 12, and they were actually confident about um, getting him if GOS didn't match the bid and, and keeping him long-term. So that's kind of the difference in in where those um, decisions come in, I believe. Uh, the other one is probably relationships with clubs, but I think in the end, they're bidding on the player at the top of their draft board if they think that they want to come to the club and they can retain them long-term. Alwyn Davy Jr., I don't think there's a club in the competition that was confident they would retain if um, they selected him and, and he wasn't matched by Essendon. That, that's, that does tend to make sense there. I guess, in, you know, building on Alwyn, Jaden didn't even get a bid. Essendon just, just uh, selected him outright there. So just sort of remind uh, the listeners what they're getting with the Davy Twins. I'm sure everyone's been across it pretty uh 
consistently over the last few years as we've been getting more and more excited. Just a quick reminder of what we're getting with those two. I'll quickly touch on Alwyn, but I want to talk about Jaden a fair bit because no one's really spoken about how good he can be. Um, firstly, with Alwyn, uh, he's more of a midfielder um, than his dad. His dad was that small forward type. He's a Alwyn's a Alwyn Junior's a, a a right footer. He's really crafty in the midfield. He's really smart with his positioning. Um, he he kind of just flies through packs and and is a one touch player below his knees. So I like him a little bit to to what Connor Rosie is able to do when he goes through the midfield for Port Adelaide. He's really crafty. He's able to create space for himself and execute at a top level with his skills by hand and by foot. So his ability um, to to just be a really clean and effective damaging player. He averaged nearly 10 score assists for the Chargers in the NAB League this year. Um, will be uh, uh, really, really good for for Brad Scott's new Essendon team because we lack some foot skills. We lack some pace on the outside. And he adds all of that as, along with Elijah Sardis. So um, they've addressed a need with those two guys. And he's a, he's a legit first round talent. Don't be fooled by his pick 45 status. He's a legit first round talent and he has been for the last couple of years. Um, so that's Alwyn. With Jaden, he's more of his dad. Uh, he's a small forward. He has that real good goal now. He's a left footer. He's got more speed than Alwyn. I'm not sure how that will translate after two ACLs, but he's a faster player than um, his twin. Um, and I think overall, he's just a really smart crummer of the football pressure forward who fits a list need um, and I think can become a really good goal scoring threat as well. Well, it's really interesting that, you know, we've, We've spoken in probably the last couple of years about the lack of depth in that small forward position. And now with uh, obviously Jaden, potentially Alwyn maybe starting there, uh, Tex, uh, Jai Menzi getting another run uh, and Tipper coming back. We've now got a, you know, a, a lot of players who potentially could play there. And, and with the young players, we've got time to find someone who could be a, a long-term successor to Tipper there. Yeah, we've got a host of those players and, and I've been big on this for a couple of years now. I think we're really lacking uh, two small forwards in our forward line. I, I think we just played Waller for the most part when he was fit and healthy um, at the start of 2020. And then last year, we obviously had no one to to add to that mix. So we made Guelphy uh, a small forward and you know he finished the top three in the crowd and he was fantastic, but he just didn't have enough pressure around him to be a really effective pressure player. I think we need two of them in the forward line. I think Brad Scott will run two of those guys. Um, it, it remains to be see who, hopefully, if Waller's fully fit, it'll be him and Guelphy, possibly Jai Menzi if he breaks into that side um, during preseason as well. But now we've got a huge amount of talent in that in that area of the ground. And add Anthony Mankara to that list as well, Humi, because his pressure without the ball, his speed, his agility, his smarts, he, he has an- great anticipation of where the ball's going. Um, all of that adds to him being a good pressure player as well as a medium-sized forward. Um, so, you know, it's it's a wealth of riches at this point, you know, just one year after just having Matt Guelphy in that position. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Mankara, and that's obviously the final player that Essendon picked up, not in the draft itself, but when he got through, firstly, when he got past pick 40, everyone breathed a sigh of relief. And then when he wasn't <laughs> selected, he was able to be added as a as a cat B rookie, the, the spot that uh, Tom Hurd vacated. Uh, so in, in that, is that because he's an NGA player? He's allowed to be put straight into... That or is there something else involved yes. in that? Yep. It's he's a Tiwi Islander, so he's part of our NGA Academy. He has been for a while. Um, and the Dons have known he's coming for a long time. So when they he got through the national draft, they had the option of adding him to the category B rookie list. That's for players who make it through the national draft nominated as an NGA 
player, um, they can be added to that to that rookie list, which is just the three spots, I believe, um, that we've been using up on Irishman and Tom Hurd, as you mentioned. We're going to see a similar thing with um, Fremantle. They're going to take Arlo Draper. Um, sorry, uh, not Arlo Draper, Josh Draper, who's um, an a NGA prospect for them. Uh, that he's going to be taken as a Category B rookie because he made it through um, the draft. And I think Hawthorne would have been hoping Cooper Vickery made it through the draft um, to be an NGA um, category, category B player as well. Obviously, the Swans took him in the second round. So with Mankara now, we're going to see him on the Cat B rookie list, which means that he still has a contract for next year. He just got added to the list. Um, he will officially be added to the list um, today. Um, and then in terms of him being able to play senior footy, early on, um, it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts to that professional environment. He's got all the talent in the world, this kid. He's, he's really agile and evasive. He has a, a really mean fend-off, don't argue, um, that was used on on Arlo Draper um, against Collingwood VFL side. And, and the big tick for me is his ability to kick off both left and right foot really easily. He's a balanced footballer in the forward half and he can pivot onto either foot, which makes him, makes him a lot harder to deal with for defenders because you don't know which way he's going to roll onto. Um, he played his best game of the season against Collingwood VFL side. He made a lot of those um, players look yes, not on his level, which is a great indication that he can play senior footy early on. But the, the things he's going to have to work really hard on is his fitness, um, just his recovery and his professionalism in general, um, and then just hopefully breaking into the side and learning the game plan really quick. Yeah, and as given with what was happened in the last couple of years and, and the fact that they've identified Indigenous uh, connections and development as an important part of the club going forward, you would hope that he's going to come into an environment that's going to embrace him and it's going to get the best out of him uh, compared to, say, maybe what would have happened a couple of years ago. Obviously, we saw with Mosquito uh, what happened there. Obviously, the injury harmed him there, but you, you can also say that the club's environment probably didn't wasn't conducive to him being able to uh, feel comfortable to, to perform or, or to recover in that environment. So, hopefully... Uh, with Dean Rioli on the board and more resources going into it, we can get the best out of Anthony Mankara. So I guess overall, you know, if you had to give it Essendon's draft a rating out of 10, what would you give it? Um, it, I can't, I can't complain with anything. I think Lewis Hayes was an astute pick. I, I had uh, us taking Elijah Sardis in the first round and um, that's how it played out. I think he was the best available um, prospect there for us to take that we were linked to. Um, and Lewis Hayes, I had in the, our top 20, I think he was, he was 18th um, in my power rankings. So to get him at 25 is really good value. He fits a need for the long term alongside Zach Reed. getting. Alan Davey um, so late on in the piece, Jaden Davey um, onto the main list, onto the long-term injury list um, as soon as possible. And then Anthony Moncara in the category B um, rookie list. Uh, it's a 10 out of 10. It's You can't complain about anything that happened. Um, there was no you know consideration to really trade out. If we got three first rounders for um, that first pick, it would have been interesting to see what we took and what the first rounders were in the future. Um, that would have impacted, you know, how how I rated that draft because if we didn't get one of those top um, midfield talents, then I think it would have been a pretty disappointing outcome for the Dons. Um, but overall, uh, you can't you can't not be really happy with how it's gone. And um, I think Humi, this is a this is just a bang on draft from Adrian Dodoro's team, and there's a lot of them involved in in this process, and they've done really well to to get a good outcome over both nights. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's much complaints about any of the, any of the selections, as you said. Now, as you mentioned earlier, with Jaden Davies 
drafting and then going immediately onto the long-term injury list that opens up another supplementary spot. There's also one extra spot on the list, which probably came about because Mankara wasn't bid on. So they were obviously keeping a spot open for that as well in that event, but that didn't eventuate. So now they've got two spots. We know that Josh Eyre is potentially in line for that spot. Uh, I believe there's an ex uh, Footscray backman whose name escapes me that's also going to be training with the Dons. Is there anyone else that comes to mind that would be good for that those supplementary spots? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the rookie draft tonight. I expect a couple guys, Mitch Shipkowski and um, Adam Deloyer, two inside midfield bulls who are you know just a dominant force in their lower league, um, the kind of NAB league and under 18s in the sample um, ability. It's, it's going to be interesting to see where they land because clubs have been turned off a little bit simply due to uh, their lack of foot speed, maybe their lack of um, positional diversity or flexibility. Um, they're just real inside midfielders who are good at football. That's you know that's their that's their one word. They're really good at extracting the footy and they're really good at getting it and, and accumulating and being prolific. Be interesting to see where those two guys go. I expect um, they will get opportunities at the very least in the SSP. So those could be options for Essendon to consider as big um, inside midfielders. Brad Lynch is the man that you're referring to, the the Western Bulldogs uh, former defender. He's 25 years old. He's he's going to be um, training on with us in the SSP, and I think he will be a potential option for us as long uh, along with Josh Eyre, who we cut um, to a, a few weeks ago. Not not too long ago, we we let go of Josh Eyre and invited him to um, potentially train for an SSP spot um, on the list. So we're going to have two spots. I think those are the kind of guys we'll be considering. Um, other than that, uh, I'm not too sure. There's always guys who emerge out of um out of, out of the woods, like like Nick Martin last year. Yeah, I'm year. not sure. No, no, not many people were talking about him. You know, yeah. at this stage last year. So, yeah, I agree. And, so- and as you you know, intimate, we've we've had some pretty good success with these sort of players over the past, and hopefully they've got you know their eye on someone that could come in and. and- you know, have a similar impact. Well, maybe not as high as a Nick Martin, but someone <laughs> who could fill a role. You can't, you know, you can't, they can't all be winners, but, you know, good good history of doing that suggests that they've got their finger on the pulse there. Well, look, thanks for your time today, Jasper. I suspect you're about to take a well-earned break. It's been a <laughs> busy couple of months for you with building up to the draft. Yes, I will be taking a break. I'm off to Apollo Bay for the next few days, actually, which will be a very nice break. Well, I love Apollo Bay. It's a great, great place. Well, just want to say, again, thank you for um, your time, uh, over the past couple of weeks and, and jumping on the shows. We've really appreciated it. I know the listeners have um, responded really well. It's a, your um, draft preview with us is our most downloaded episode. So um, thanks for that. Other than that, uh, that's it from us. John and I will be back with one more episode of Don the Stat, wrapping up the year and looking forward to what we can expect in 2023. Hopefully we'll be able to do that in the next couple of weeks. Until then, keep safe and go Dons.